This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Margaret, that was a good one. Thanks. It's very weird to do that and not immediately start introducing appointment television. Yeah, well. I'm like, really, my Pavlovian response now, like, I just clap at shows and then I'm like, welcome to appointment television. Listen, man, we're just sitting in front of the mic, like, whichever. You want to make time for it. Whichever podcast podcast gets announced first is the one that's being recorded. So. I'm gonna Maybe just gonna pretend Craig is a guest on ATV. I'm just gonna pretend that I didn't hear Margaret. And so welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books <laughs> you've been meeting to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And my name is Margaret. Welcome, Margaret. Hi, fellas. This is Margaret H. Wilson. She's a special guest. Let's She's true. so special. It's special to you and to us. And the world. And she's and she, and the special world. Special to Twitter. A- I have been getting Twitter followers at a clip that is unprecedented in my social media career. What did you do? Nothing. Basically, this is the secret <laughs> of Twitter. I'm just going to lay it on you, overdue listeners. You're getting a little social media advice from the queen. Once you pass 10,000, they just give you more followers. I don't know how it happens. They must just be showing you to people. And also, you get like major, major, major fave and free tweet inflation. I oh, guess, like, sure. The more people who see the fine thing you said, the more of them who can incorrectly favorite it and retweet it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I just feel crippling guilt because, like, I have some friends who are astonishingly funny and they hover around, like, the 100 follower mark. Devin. I'm talking about my friend Devin. He's at N-I-E-V-V-E-D on Twitter. He's the funniest person on Twitter. I have two questions. Two questions about this. Has this person paid us for this placement on this podcast? <laughs> no. But and I number two... You. Second thing is, have you considered just stealing his tweets and tweeting them yourself? <laughs> That's solid. Because nobody would ever know. That no, sounds like they're... a solid scheme, if I he... were to ever think of a scheme. So I'm just saying, Devin has a very specific voice, and I have a very specific voice, and they're different. And I couldn't just steal his tweets, as much as I would like to. And no, he did not pay for this placement, but like, like if money needs to exchange hands... I can pay out of pocket for the time I spent advertising Devin's Twitter. Okay, it definitely does. So we'll talk about that after <laughs> we're done recording. Um, Mark, can you like run down like why, why, what, who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> why are you here? Of central interest to people who like you, Andrew, I am one of your co-hosts on Appointment Television the aforementioned podcast about the TV you want to make time for. Uh, In addition to that, and moderately better known, I appear on Pop Culture Happy Hour as a fourth chair, you know, every three to four months. Uh, I have a lot of followers on Twitter, and I run the Two Bossy Dames (laughs) newsletter with uh, Sophie Brookover. And uh, she and I have both appeared on this show here separately, and we also took over it one memorable time to read that Very classic. memorable. Very memorable. Very memorable. Yeah. It's going to flash back, and now it'll just be a clip show where we run Oh, my God. Let's do a clip show. <laughs> Why haven't you guys done a clip show? <laughs> it's because I've... So I've heard podcasts that have done that because <laughs> they think it's going to be like an easy way to get an episode where some, when somebody's like off or they're out on paternity, maternity leave or whatever. Right, right, Actually, right. Actually, it's like way more time consuming to find an edit <laughs> than a real episode than it is to just make a new podcast. So let's make a new podcast here today, not a clip show. We're going to make a new podcast here with Margaret. We asked Margaret here to read a book that one of our uh, Patreon donors recommended Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. Margaret, what the heck book did you read and who's it by? I read the book Last Act by Christopher Pike. Who is that? That What's his deal? 
is. <laughs> why, like, why are people, why do people know who he is? Like, why are people excited about him? What's okay. his deal? So you guys are familiar with R.L. Stein, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Old Bob, so, Bob Stein. Bob Stein. My basic feeling about Christopher Pike is it's like once you graduated from R.L. Stein, you know, you were like, you know what? I like this basic boilerplate monster of the week suspense stuff. But could I get some sex implied up in here? <laughs> okay. Then you jumped to Christopher Pike. Where it was Obviously, like, you didn't read you didn't read the later Go- Goosebumps <laughs> books, which got really sexy. Give yourself goose. Um, actually, give yourself Goosebumps Monster, took on its Monster own Blood, meaning. Monster Blood Six gets wet and wild. <laughs> actually, Andrew, I have. I don't even know if Monster Blood Six is a real one. <laughs> any? That's not true. I have read one Goosebumps book under duress aloud to children at a literacy program I was working at. And I have otherwise never read any uh, Goosebumps books. This is Goosebumps torture program that you were participating in. <laughs> it was not. They only got up I, to Goosebumps. It was torture to Monster me. It was delight to them. Okay. They, they requested that we read Goosebumps. And I tried to get them to read something better. And they uh, did not acquiesce. Okay. And the gender politics of those books are a nightmare. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, well. The gender sure politics we'll, of this yeah. Christopher Pike book were not much better. Yeah. So, Andrew, what did you find out about Chris Pike? Oh, thank God. For a second, I thought I was supposed to do the author research, too. And it was like, guys, I read a whole book. <laughs> How dare we ask you to do more than read a book? That's a lot of work. A lot of work that you've already done. It, it um, okay. So I, I did some. and 27 pages. Okay. I'm I'm heavy feel, lifting. I feel a little bad about making you do that much, even. Yeah. Um. So here's here's the deal with Christopher Pike is he is a very secretive man. He is, <laughs> or he's a private man. I but, don't know about secretive. Yeah, I don't know if he keeps secrets from his friends, but, but he does. He, he does keep yeah, things he, from the press. So the deal <laughs> with Christopher Pike is that his real name is Kevin Christopher McFadden. True. <laughs> and that his pen name, Christopher Pike, actually, so Craig, you made a bad, wrong Star Trek joke on our Facebook page. I did. But he did take his pseudonym from Christopher Pike, the first captain of the Enterprise before Captain Kirk. Did you know why? Why? Did you know about Christopher Pike, the guy who is, who is the captain before Captain Kirk? So there is an original Star Trek <laughs> pilot. Oh, boy. I believe it's called The Cage. This is just like a little um, teaser for the upcoming appointment television TV book club on Star Trek. Yeah, so definitely it's, it's, what it is. It's an originally unaired pi- pilot of the original Star Trek series, <laughs> and they hadn't hired William Shatner yet. They had this guy, um, I forget the actor's name, but the captain's name is Christopher Pike, and it was basically really boring, and like the network didn't <laughs> like it, and so they had to make a second pilot later, and that's what turned into actual Star Trek. But because Star Trek nerds are the worst and also because they later took that unaired pilot and like made it into like a, a flashback episode like later in the Ooh, first season because they use all it parts beca- of the buffalo with star trek yes right <laughs> it um it became like canon that this actually happened okay which is sure cool so yeah that's that's the true the incredible true story of the character christopher pike from star trek also um if you go to facebook.com slash christopher pike books which is his uh, his main uh, landing page on <laughs> sure. the internet. That's... He signs all of his posts. Yours, Pike slash Kevin. That's great. <laughs> That's good. So he, like, he has he has a pen name, but like he wants you to know that it's <laughs> like he's not that serious. <laughs> so I I what little I found is that he was born in 1955. He didn't complete college. I don't think he was like a. He worked in house painting and like computer programming and stuff, mm-hmm. and then he started writing YA thrillers like you do. Sure. sure. Uh, and he tried to write like two books while he had an agent, uh, and none of them happened. Like he had an agent before he got published that he met at like USC because I guess that's just how it worked. And back in the uh, day at USC. Yeah, so then he he published his first book, Slumber Party, in mm-hmm. 19, nineteen eighty five. Eighty five, which was like the year a I was born, murder mystery at a ski like weekend retreat, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gone on to write books in the Spooksville series. Yep. Which There's was a like... big order for him for Spooksville right here in this book I have. <laughs> it's like 24 books in three years, apparently, for Spooksville. Look at those. So oh, many man. Spooksville uh, I books. Love, I... I... <laughs> those those shipped in so many of those YA books. Like, did they really want you to like rip a page out of a book and Heck send yeah. it in to get more books? That's wow. Tear up right. this book and turn it into more books. That's how it works. They just mm-hmm. don't want you to miss more gripping page turners, Andrew. That's all. <laughs> From Christopher Pike. Uh, he also wrote the. He's been writing the Last Vampire series, also known as Thirst. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'll mm. tell you. Uh, he wrote a book called Fall Into Darkness. He has been writing those for a long time. Because yeah, they're he mentioned really has. in his about an author in this book right here. The book uh, Fall Into Darkness was turned into a TV movie starring Tatiana Ali from the television show Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That's your fun of fact. Of course. That's your Fresh Prince fact today. <laughs> your Fresh Fresh Prince that, fact. I think that all facts are fun. Not like. Not that they're all like about good stuff, but I just like facts so much that it's just fun to know them and to relay them mm-hmm. to each other it's, and yeah. to believe them together. Uh, yeah, and have a, to... have a shared reality that we all agree on. Yeah, I like that. That's too, really, babe. I think that's fun. I like that too. According to Christopher Pike's about the author in my copy of Last Act, his hobbies include astronomy, meditating, running playing with his nieces and nephews, and making sure his books are prominently displayed in local bookstores. That's good. That last, I love that last thing. That's pretty good. He, does he go around with like a fake mustache and just rearrange all the bookshelves in, in the Wallen books? Oh, here's that, here's that Star Trek author coming I'm in with his box out. of books. I'm going to go ahead and say you two that that sentence is my favorite sentence that I read in this entire book. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> That's not to say that this book was a punishment, but on a sentence-by-sentence level, nothing beats that one. That sure. is a, It's a good sentence. It's a good it doesn't sentence. mean that the other sentences were bad. It's just like that one is pretty good. Yeah, and pretty there's a sense sentence. of humor in that sentence that is not consciously included in any other part of this book. Okay, okay. So I want to find out more about this book and what happens in it. But let's take a quick break first. All right, we're in the ad break now. Here we are. Here we are. We are in the mid-roll. Andrew. Craig. I don't have anything Andrew to start the ad. Do you have anything? <laughs> Margaret, let's just say each other's right. names. We've got we've got Margaret here. <laughs> we do. Trap. And I want to take advantage of that and do some hyper target targeted advertising. Some Margaret <laughs> advertising. Yes. Hyper Margaret. Uh, Margaret. How do you do you have you ever needed to make a website? Do you I, make websites? I badly need to make a personal website because I have a flourishing brand, my brand okay. of identity. Mm-hmm. And, we uh, talked about and, it, and no, no online home for it anywhere. Well, are you good? Do you know about HTML? Do you know about so, all the code look, and the servers and the SSL and look, the security cipher bits? I am and, an uh, information. I am a library and information scientist. I am a master of library and information sciences, and I took a number of. Uh, coding classes in graduate school and you know what i liked to call them advanced copy paste because <laughs> they, nice. okay. they would show you like a schema <laughs> like a like a style sheet and they'd be like this is an organizational system for cds how would you make it for books <laughs> you would just change like cd to book artist author you get the idea. So um, I should know a lot more than I do, but I don't. So it sounds like you don't know a lot about making websites. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very fast learner, but I'm relatively untutored. Yes. Okay. Well, Andrew, can you hook Margaret up with something? Can you hyper yeah, Margaret this a, ad? Is there a service? Margaret, it sounds like, it sounds like, and li- listen, me? I say this with all the love in my heart. It sounds like you're <laughs> dumb and bad at websites. <gasps> Andrew, get to the part where it's an ad and we're not just dragging Margaret. <laughs> I, re- I really think, Margaret, that you would benefit from the s- services of the good people at Squarespace. Well, do they, um, are they got... nicer to me than you? 
<laughs> they will be because yeah. because you will pay them to be, which oh, is sure. the secret to getting me to be nice to you as well. <laughs> uh, Squarespace has beautiful award-winning designer templates. You can uh, create a website. You can create a store. You can do all kinds of cool stuff because they give you these pre-made templates. You don't have to code them yourself. You don't have to know anything about code. Um, it's an all-in-one platform. You never have to install any updates or worry about your security. They got that all handled. Don't worry about it. Margaret, stop worrying about it. I'm already um, so not worried just because you've told if, me to be not that. <laughs> if you have questions, which probably you will, they have award-winning 24-7 customer service. And uh, Craig and I have our website, OverduePodcast.com mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Squarespace. We have That attractive the, website since is the Squarespace? Jump yet. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a very, it's a very attractive it's website. It's almost as handsome as you are, babe. <laughs> Aw, thanks. <laughs> as she rolls and, back with laughter. <laughs> and we we yeah uh we have been squarespace customers forever we've asked them questions their support is super friendly and super prompt and it's very helpful mm-hmm. um they give you a, a domain when you subscribe you don't have to worry about setting that up either they they get that all going for you and uh you can make lots of different kinds of websites so promote your brand sell some stuff get to, like do a wedding website i don't know i don't know what you need he I'm doesn't your know dad. your life. Craig, if Margaret or anybody wants to find out more and subscribe to Squarespace, what do they need to do? Well, they can start their free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off their first purchase. So 10 if you entire want... percents? 10% American? 10% American. <laughs> Or other yeah. countries, I think. You think, yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot, of, lot of podcasts gonna give you what, like eight, eight percent, eight percent discount. We 9%? could give you no. ten. We go all the way up to ten. That's right. So. Squarespace, you can make your next move. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter the off code overdue at take ten percent off your first purchase. That's all we got. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks, Margaret. Anytime you do. <laughs> All right, we're back. So, Margaret, we talked a little bit about Christopher Pike before, and then we we alluded <laughs> to the idea that this is a rowdy podcast. We alluded to the idea that he is some sort of like in but go between or in betweener between R.L. Stein and like He's someone just... like a Stephen King, right? Uh you know what. I would say that you just there's just like a thorough line in the sand between authors who are prolific, but like you're never suspicious that maybe other people are also writing their books and authors like R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike and uh, the Babysitter's Club books. Like if at the back of your book there is a page with like 30 titles on it, that can be uh-huh. torn out to order more books, unless you're Agatha Christie. You're like in a different category. So he's just okay. like, no, this is me as like an anti-series fiction, not even snob. I think that they have their place. I understand why so many people read them, but just as a child, I did not truck with that nonsense. So you're not into Babysitter's Club. You're not into Goosebumps. What like? Were the Matt Christopher like those sports the boxcar children? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. let's read some. Children was Andrew, let's talk about Matt Christopher. Let's talk yeah. about the kid with the glass arm and the kid who think- hit a baseball. <laughs> and I some think there other was books. one about skateboarding that I read once, and I would love to revisit it. Okay, and like- um, but so when we talk about R.L. Stein, Margaret, can you? Um, so you said you didn't read any, but are we talking like? Is this more like Goosebumps? R.L. Stein, or are we talking like Fear Street, like early teens? I think teens, these are more Stein. equivalent with Fear Street, but I haven't read a Fear Street, so I can't say for sure. Okay. Uh, but that's where I would put them. I'd say that Fear Street probably started happening after for, after Christopher Pike started happening, and R.L. Stein was like, oh, I've got to keep up. And most likely both of them came after like slashers with teenagers became like a major cottage industry for the film industry in the 80s with your like halloweens and your whatnots okay right. fear your street nightmares on elm streets the first fear street book was published in 89 so yeah a few years after oh and, christopher, um, pike. christopher pike gets his start andrew the skateboard book you were thinking of is called skateboard tough 
I just need you to know that the book is called Skateboard Tough. Is it? Is it's it about a, like, it's about a mysterious skateboard called the lizard. Oh, I remember this. Wait, so is it? Is it skateboard tough? Like he's a he's a tut, like a street tough, like a skateboard tough, or is it like Ford tough? It's like a like, command. Oh, he's, like he's scra- he, hey, or you, like a skateboard tough. Or <laughs> skateboard tough. Okay, yeah. Margaret, we got to actually talk about this book. It's called okay. Last Act. They're teens in it. They're We're the number one it. podcast for teens. So, like, tell us <laughs> what happens to the teens in this book. Mm, okay. <laughs> this book is a little complicated, and I'm going to walk you through it. So, the protagonist of this book is a the new girl in town, Melanie Martin. And because of her parents' tragic divorce, popular subject for teen fiction in the 1980s, divorces. Sure. Uh, she has been forced to move from glamorous San Francisco to like, ah, uh, shucks, middle of nowhere, Careville, Iowa. And uh, despite being at Care High for a number of months, she hasn't made any friends until suddenly one day in trigonometry class. That was strange. <laughs> <laughs> what class is this again? What was, what? <laughs> Craig, your infectious laughter is not helpful in this circumstance. Now, tell was... us more about what happened in trigonometry class. <laughs> trigonometry class. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm a little congested. Mm. Uh, trigonometry mm-hmm. class. Uh, she notices. <laughs> yeah, I get colds <laughs> that make me unable to say words, too. <laughs> Look, illness affects bodies and mouths differently. All right? Okay. All right? Cutting him. Andrew, we got to get skateboard tough and press on. Come on. (laughs) Anyhow, Melanie notices that popular girl Susan Trells is uh, like struggling to figure out her trigonometry quiz. And so she has a brainwave because she's an ace trigonometry student. And she like flicks a note with the right answers over onto Susan's desk. And suddenly they're like friends. And uh, Susan like has her come to lunch with her and is like, hey, I'm directing a play at school. I think you should play the part of Melissa in Final Choice. Uh, auditions are such and such day. And Melanie has like history with theater, but also like a weird stage fright that is then like never mentioned again. She's only ever played characters who have like masks on. Uh, That's and she's normal like, for high school. <laughs> Super That's normal. Reasonable. She was mm-hmm. the ghost of Christmas past and then Peter Pan, who, in my experience, doesn't wear a mask, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think how many plays even. So, like, Phantom of the Opera, obviously. <laughs> um, the stage version of Jim Carrey's The Mask uh-huh. is another one. Junior, if you're doing it in middle school. Right. right. The Junior um, Mask. The man, Jim Carrey's man the, the Mask man, Junior. <laughs> <laughs> man the iron mask also a mask involved very famous mask. uh the stage adaptation the of the mel gibson film the man without a face junior <laughs> yeah right because you don't have a face um stage adaptation of mighty ducks one and two you're wearing a hockey mask the whole very time. true very true those are very popular quack quack quack, quack. <laughs> it's my favorite part of that show it's my favorite so... song in the show <laughs> melody obviously has had vibrant roles in all of these all of these plays in san francisco uh, but this stage fear evaporates immediately uh, because Susan Trells uses, like, this hot dude Mark to lure Melanie in. She's like, you should take Mark to the Sadie Hawkins dance, and also he's going to be in the play, so you can hang out with him, like, all the time. And Melanie is like, oh, my God, he's so dreamy, so of course I'm going to do it. So she goes to the audition, and only one girl is is, like, definitively better than her. And it's this girl named Heidi. But, like, she's not that worried because Heidi is a little chunky and has bad skin. And that is almost a direct quote. Uh, Whoa. (laughs) Susan viciously dismisses all of the candidates who are not Heidi and Melanie uh, by saying, I guess you guys tried your best, uh, but you can leave now. (laughs) And then has Heidi and Melanie go out into the hall and, like, while they're there, the two of them are being, like, all chummy. But then she comes out and tells Melanie that she got the part and that Heidi didn't. And Heidi pitches a major hissy fit. 
And, like, you get the impression that, like, Susan and Heidi have been at loggerheads many times over roles inside the drama department at, quote, unquote, Care High, where they all go. Uh, and, like, vicious epithets are thrown about. Yeah. So this yeah. is, like, one enmity that looms large. But then the next drama is that Melanie finds out that, like, this very, very beautiful rich girl, Rindy, has been cast as the character that she has to, like, murder in the play. Rindy? Rindy. That's not even the worst of it. We haven't even that, gotten to the how, character. Can you spell Rindy for me <laughs> Yeah, I quick? sure can. Is it just Randy with an I? <laughs> it is indeed exactly that. Randy oh, with an no. I. Rindy Everyone Carpenter. Everyone knows it's Rindy. <laughs> but guys, that's not even the worst. Uh-oh. Uh, worse than Rindy, Randy with an I. Um, is the mentally unstable weirdo who's like obsessed with her, whose name would be pronounced Jeremy, but is spelled Jeremy with an I E instead of a Y. Oh, that seems like way like too. Like Jeremy. Whoa. Whoa. I need because... Jeremy to not spell his name that way. We don't know each other well enough. <laughs> um. <laughs> So the drama with Melanie being cast cast opposite Rindy is that, like, last year when Melanie had just moved there, they had a car accident where, like, Rindy was kind of at fault, but she blamed Melanie. And, like, Rindy was, like, weird and standoffish about it. So there's an idea that there might be beef between the two of them. So Susan breaks it to Melanie that she's going to be co-leading with Rindy like really carefully and it's like please don't drop out of the play and Melanie is like if she doesn't mind I don't mind and Rindy's like I don't mind so then it seems like it's going to be fine but I have to tell you all of these things because eventually one of these characters is going to be dead and these minor conflicts are going to be listed as plausible motivations Mm. for the murder Uh, huh so, so, like, you murdered someone because your name was Rindy. Like, <laughs> so if my name was Rindy, I'd be mad. Jeez. So, the rest of the people inside this drama clique, we've got Melanie, the new girl, Susan, uh, who is described thusly, more attractive than her individual features warranted. Um, and... Is that... Whoa. <laughs> It's like a real backhanded, like, greater than the sum of its parts, your face edition. Well, and also, what a strange way for a 30-year-old man to describe a high school girl. That's not even... uh, It goes on further to say, her energy was her saving grace. Watching Susan for even a minute, you could tell she had a lot of life. Plus, she was tall and blonde, and nobody, male or female, could argue about that chest. Susan trails that everyone. That sentence took a left turn at the end. <laughs> that chest. Sure did. That oh. That's my favorite, my favorite Christopher Pike book, actually. That, that chest. chest. <laughs> Is that a sequel to Scavenger Hunt, where, pe- where a bunch of teens were actually uh, evolved dinosaur people? That's a yeah. real book. It's called Scavenger Hunt, and it has dinosaur teens in it. Bet- between dinosaur teens and like skateboard tough, really thinking we need to seriously consider just having this be a YA book podcast. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so who gets murdered and how? There is a little bit more territory you've got to cover before we get okay, to that. Okay, walk me through it. All right. Uh, the other people who are cast in this play, I've already mentioned Dreamy Mark. Dreamy Mark is mm. playing the husband of Rindy's character, Rhonda. That's spelled with no H, obviously. <laughs> sure. Uh, and his his former best friend, Robert, played by Unstable Jeremy, i.e. not why, uh, had a falling out during the war because, like, Robert started acting crazy and threatening to shoot people with unloaded guns. Uh, and then was discharged from the army and Robert, no, Charles stayed in the army and like lost his arm as a result. And if it seems like I'm going into a lot of detail about this play, I am, but that is because believe it or not, it is crucial to the plot that you know, the plot of the play. Which sure. Is weird. 
because this is a very convoluted book. So Melanie plays Melissa. She is in love with Charles. Charles is married to Rhonda, played by Rindy. Uh, And Robert is probably in love with Rhonda, and he's also crazy. Uh, And at the end of Act 2, Melanie's character murders Rhonda for, like, not getting Charles out of the war so that he didn't lose an arm. Because, like, she was his wife, and so it was her job to get him back from the front. And also because she's in love with her husband, and therefore she hates her and has always hated her. And then there's also uh, Charles's little sister, played by a girl named Tracy, and she hates Rindy's character, Rhonda, as well. So, okay, this is Rindy, your, these are the Rhonda. layers. And this play, fascinatingly, has, like, never been done before that anybody can remember. They just, like, found a copy of it in this used bookstore. Like, Susan dug up this murder play for all her friends dug to Dug up be this in? murder play, this dug up this murder play, copyrighted in 1949, Written by a man named Stan Russell. Last name Russell spelled with only one L. That will be important. That is why I mention it. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on? We find some backstory out. There's some character named Clyde who used to be on the football team. And he was injured in some vague way. We don't know how. And when he was injured, Hottie Mark like, left the football team forever and became, like, a brooding loner, thereby increasing his hotness quotient exponentially. And there's a reservoir where, like, all the kids go to go skinny dipping, but, like, Mark doesn't like going there. And, like, Rindy hangs out there, like, moodily smoking and, like, looking forlorn. And we don't really know what the deal with it is, but we also know that Jeremy, i.e., is weirdly obsessed with the ducks that are out there. I am mentioning that because it's a plot point, not just because. So this is your backstory. Nobody nobody has ever been interested in ducks and not gone on to murder somebody. Actually, there is a story. I'm pretty confident in saying that. There's a story about Jeremy like stealing a duck from the reservoir and shooting its head off and then plucking it to donate to like a food drive because he thought it would be better because it was fresher. But this is never (laughs) entirely addressed. Jeremy. (laughs) Jeremy IE. I mean, like, what could you expect of him? It's an IE, not a Y. Like, what is he supposed to do? His parents basically condemned him to be a duck murderer. He is, in essence, an idiot, is what he is, Jeremy. So, Mysterious Clyde, injured some way, to what end we don't know. Mysterious Reservoir, weird thematic importance of the ducks. All of this is established. (laughs) Thematic ducks. So this is what we've got so far. Mysterious Clyde is my favorite WWF wrestler back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) So... One of the weird things, one of the weird directorial choices that Susan makes is that instead of using a cap gun for the murder scene, she's Whoop. using a real pistol, but with blanks. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, like teens always do. Yeah, you would. Uh, theoretically, they're using blanks. Is there an adult trained in stage firearm usage? There are around? no adults involved in this production. So this is at like. All. When the Peanuts kids put on their Christmas play and there's no adults around, except what if there is a scene where someone gets shot? Yeah, where someone gets shot three times with a real pistol. That was edited out of the original Charlie Brown Christmas. Coca-Cola <laughs> wouldn't stand for it. You blockhead. You you killed Rerun. <laughs> it wasn't even invented yet. I shot into the no, future to he, try and end he it. Had, he had been invented. He just got shot by Charlie Brown until... They did the uh, continuity reboot in the 70s. Okay, you're right. I, I forgot about that part. <laughs> now, Margaret, up until this point, are these some, like, drama club drama teens? Like, how are these ki- how are these kids handling themselves? The one kid likes ducks. The That's all kid, I know. The one kid likes ducks and also another one of the kids, in both in ways that are wholly problematic. Min- uh, like... Well, what is her name? Melanie, 
There we go. Not Melissa. She has a like just a regular name, so it's super hard well, to uh, to no. remember next to also Crindy one of the or that's hard <laughs> is that all of the characters' names in the play are very similar to their names in real life. Yes. Just foreshadowing. Oh okay. no. Sure. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. Um they are not as much like drama teens as I was hoping. Um, mm. And like the, the reason that I picked this book is because I myself was a drama teen. I think all three of us on this podcast were. I knew yeah. Craig was. I had no idea you were, Andrew. And I, in fact, started asking Craig about it. And he made me promise that I couldn't ask you about this at all until we were on podcast air. And I need to oh, know no. what shows were you in and who did you play? So <laughs> you said so bad my, to talk about this in ninth in ninth grade. <laughs> um, we did the Sound of Music. Oh and my I played god! A variety, a variety of roles. Did but you the play Rolf? One, I did not. Oh. No. The medius, the medius role I played was like a Nazi. Okay, <laughs> sure, sure. And I need to work on. Yeah, I need to work on how to say hi a lot and not like sound like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Because it kept coming out very like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Deborah. <laughs> I know that's just Ray Romano as a Nazi. <laughs> Deborah, I, the fi- Deborah, the final solution. No. <laughs> Um, all right, and then what ooh, What happened after that? Was I, it Cinderella after that? Oh I have God. seen footage of you in a production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. That's <gasps> okay, just... so that's, that comes later. That comes later. <laughs> um, I think it was Cinderella sophomore year. I don't remember what I was in that. Okay. And then um, <laughs> junior year was uh, Wizard of Oz, and I was a Tin Man. And actually a guy. Wait, no. Time what? out. Time out. Time out, time what? out, time out, time what? out, time what? out. You were the Tin Man? Yeah. You've been the Tin Man ever since. I know. <laughs> that, that is was, actual that typecasting. I, <laughs> I was the Tin Man, and I, there was a guy in, oh, uh, in town honey. who actually... Oh, you he are made, the Tin Man, though. He made a suit, like a Tin Man outfit out of metal that I actually wore. You wore a pretty. metal suit? <laughs> yeah, I was a metal Tin Man. Holy it was hard, crap. It was hard to move around and to do all my choreography. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then, yeah, senior year, I was Charlie Brown, and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> and it was the role of a lifetime. And we did... It wasn't we didn't do the revival version. We did the original version oh, but with no. a bunch of scenes that we like put in so that all the like little eighth graders who wanted parts could be in it. Oh my goodness. That's always That's the best good. part of uh, also, school theater. Okay. We also did a uh, a scene, you know, Lucy holding the football and Charlie Brown around to kick it where we made the creative decision to play the chariots of fire song as, as i ran in slow motion <laughs> to kick the football and i did the actual fall every night uh, even though our mic packs were on our backs oh. and i often landed on it it was commitment to the bit commitment to the bit and i'm sorry andrew did i hear that there's footage of this i do not remember I Andrew think. may have systematically deleted it from the planet Earth. <laughs> I think but it's, it's very possible. Do a quick Google to see if. Hmm. Uh oh. No, I don't think the I don't think the still photos of this exist anymore. <sighs> okay. This is the saddest I've been ever. That's not true. <laughs> but that's like, definitely close. not true. You. So okay, I'm glad that we were able to take right. this detour for you, Margaret. Yeah, no, that's Thank great. You. Thanks so much for doing that. <laughs> Thank you. So, so would you like to tell me which one of these teens get murdered? Okay. Yeah, you guys talk about this. I'm going to see if any pictures of me from this production <laughs> of Your Man, Good Man Charlie Brown exist still. So okay, great. on opening night of the show, a couple of things happen. So thing one is uh, the director, Susan, walks into the changing room with like a bottle, a box of uh, blanks. And um, Melanie is like, oh, no, I already got blanks from a man named Steve who introduces himself thusly, I'm Steve Fisher, 5'6", 
210 pounds of all-American beef. Get Just out of here, Steve Fisher. <laughs> had to throw You're that clearly one in selling there. real bullets. Get out of here. <laughs> um, so Susan is like, oh, okay, then, then we'll just use yours. But as she's backing out, Heidi, the disgruntled, not cast girl who has chunky hips and bad skin, barges into the dressing room to demand all the comps she was promised for the opening night. And Duh. instead of getting the 10 that she's requesting, she only gets four. And she leaves in a huff, knocking into Susan, thereby spilling Susan's box of bullets all over the floor. And our girl, Melanie, picks up a couple and puts them back in the box. Heidi takes a few and just pieces while giving Susan the finger. True. <laughs> Good job, teens. Uh, and Susan, that's the ultimate teen insult. Just holds this the box. This means something out, to you. Flipping that bird. Holds the box out to Melanie so that she can put the bullets she picked up back into the box, and then walks out and says, "Just use your blanks." So that's all set. She's just going to use her blanks. Uh, and then Melanie goes to the dressing room and she loads her gun. And while she's loading her gun, Hottie Mark comes in. And despite the fact that their romance has been kind of fits and startsy because she keeps getting soups jealous of like the fact that he dated Rindy before and like maybe he's still in love with her because she's so beautiful. I have a little evidence to that fact that I'm going to share with you guys in a minute. Um, She is like putting the blanks in the gun and he comes over and he kisses her. Right. So this is maybe a moment when something could have been done to the gun. Uh, and then she goes out and they have the scene. And in the middle of the scene, Rindy is supposed to say right before she gets shot, like, but we're friends. And then Melinda's supposed to respond in character. I don't have any friends. And then shoot her three times. But instead, uh, Rindy seems like scared the entire time. And, uh, and before Melanie shoots her, she says, don't. But Melanie doesn't listen, and she shoots her. And shocking twist, she really dies, obviously. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, um, so a teen's, teen gets killed on stage. Teen gets killed on stage. Um, Do people think that it's part of the play? How long tiny, does that happen? That happens for, like, four minutes and then they figure out that something's really going on that because she's like dead. Okay. the director runs on stage and is like someone is there a doctor in the house call the police and there's no doctor in the house because it's Iowa um <laughs> sorry Iowa <laughs> that's not my opinion of Iowa that's the book's the opinion book's of opinion. Iowa I'm just <laughs> clarifying I know that okay. there are doctors in all 50 of the fine states in our country and many countries besides sure Doctors the world over. Okay. Anyhow, <laughs> this 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 all happens, uh, and we get to the police office, and Melissa is arrested. Nope, sorry, Melanie is arrested. Melanie, who's Melissa? The character that she's playing in the play. Oh, no, that's the pits. The pits. <laughs> the character that she's playing in the play, Final Choice by Stan Russell, one L. <laughs> she's arrested and she's carted off, and what you find out is that. Uh, instead of one of the blanks, instead of being a blank, is a oh god, like, like basically like a, like a kind that's used for target practice, like a half round or a quarter round or something. It's got or a, a specific quarter name. shot or something. Something you're naming things, they're all probably right. But the point is, <laughs> it looks exactly like a blank, and it's not a bullet, right? But where a blank has like wax, and uh, Melanie actually like checked the. Me- checked the wax to make sure it was real uh it is like it's got more nonsense to it and if you shoot it at a person like it can kill them even though it's not a real bullet yeah so so as as someone who has had to load a gun backstage before oh that is is certainly a thing that you have to be concerned about is that how much gunpowder or whatever powder is in this bullet that is just to be shot and make a noise. But yes, if it were actually like too full, it could harm someone at like point blank range. So, so I've left out like a mildly crucial plot point. How dare you? How What'd dare you do I? That for? In the scene. Dumbo. 
where this shooting occurs, the only light on stage is from a halfway open icebox. So it's like a refrigerator on stage and like the refrigerator light casts a glow over the set. And like that's the lighting in which the shot happens. Very artsy. Very artsy. <laughs> um, so this all occurs and everybody thinks that it's just an accident, Melanie included, that like one of the bullets, one of the blanks in her box wasn't a real blank. It was a flat charge, I think is what they call it. Sure, sure. Um, and she just didn't know. And like her fingerprints are on the bullet and they're the only fingerprints on any part of the gun. So this is what she thinks until at the hearing, someone pulls out a letter she was writing to, oh, her ex-boyfriend who dumped her real quick from San Francisco for some girl named Judy. He wrote her a letter. It was very mean. And so she wrote him a letter back that was also mean, being like, I'm dating this hot guy, Mark. And plus, I'm in this cool play and I get to shoot. I get to kill this girl who was mean to me about a car accident, and I can't wait. So Melanie wrote this at the beginning of the the whole shebang, but she never sent it. So somebody found this letter in her notebook and, like, secreted it. And, like, Se- snuck it to the police captain. <laughs> Is that- secreted it? Secre- you mean they secreted it? Probably. <laughs> a letter oozed out of their pores. Secreted it? <laughs> Good lord. Good grief. Good grief. <laughs> Would it be a podcast episode with me if I didn't make a glaring pronunciation error? Or mm-hmm. three? You know? So at this point, Margaret, in the reader experience of Christopher Pike's last act, um, yeah. are you like... Do you have a sense of who might have done it? Are you no. just completely in the dark behind that icebox on stage? Like, what is the deal? You have no idea why this person was killed or <laughs> okay, what's going cool. on. There's like, Great. there's like ambient enmity floating around, but like, there's been like no major grudges established between any of the characters. There's just like this weird mystery about Clyde and the reservoir. And Rindy feeling guilty about it. And that's all you know at this point. Because it's only once it becomes clear that someone is trying to frame her for murdering Rindy that, like, Melanie kicks into high gear and starts trying to, like, solve the mystery. And then she goes around interrogating people. And here's what we find out. Uh Rindy's boyfriend was Clyde. Clyde was Hottie Mark's best friend. Tracy is Clyde's little sister. Susan was his, like, best friend and kid sister character, the director. And uh, Jeremy, we've known all along, was, like, low-key obsessed with Rindy and is also crazy. So I guess, like, prior to the detective section, like, we probably would have guessed it was Jeremy. But what we find out is that when Rindy and Clyde were, like, soups in love, they were at a party celebrating a victory on the football team one night. And, like, Rindy insisted that they drive to the reservoir late at night to go and check on the ducks because she (laughs) thought of the scene in The Catcher in the Rye where (laughs) this is real. Where he's trying to keep the kids like off from falling (laughs) off the cliff? No, the scene in The Catcher in the Rye where he's driving past Central Park and he like passively wonders like where do the ducks go when the pond freezes over Uh, and it's like late november and she's like what happens to the ducks and she decides at like two in the morning because she was very stubborn because she was like rich and beautiful and could demand to have things her own way that they had to go and find out about the ducks and of course i mean migration right like this is not yeah it's not a secret however maybe if maybe if holden caulfield had actually gone to school and said kung class all the time he'd know about migration um also also Spoiler alert, migration, like this question is answered inside Christopher Pike's last act and migration is not the answer. Of where all the ducks went? Did Jeremy the eat went. them all? <laughs> Just, he killed them all. You have yeah. to wait to find out, fellas. Oh, I don't want to wait. So they drove off and like uh, Rindy was driving the car um, <laughs> and they drove off the road and she managed to get out with only a few scratches, but Clyde 
broke his neck and will never walk again. And now he's in, like, a home, and, like, nobody visits him except for his little sister. And uh, sometimes, I can't remember, like, his dad. And this is, like, dark secret. And so now we find out that, like, every single person in the play, except Melanie, had some kind of motive for wanting to kill Rindy. And, like, everybody hates Rindy. Because like she was it's too my beautiful, sitcom. she was too beautiful. Everybody, Everybody hates, hates Rindy. Rindy. <laughs> she was too beautiful and dating like the most popular boy in school, and she was also super rich and like standoffish. Mm-hmm. Um, so Clyde, his family isn't very wealthy, and so they had no money to deal with like the accident. So they sued Rindy's very rich parents, and like then Rindy's very rich parents just like established a trust fund. For Clyde to, like, cover all of his medical expenses and, like, his ongoing sort of, like, care and upkeep as a gentleman confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Sure, sure. So, again, I mention all this because it's pertinent, believe it or not, to the plot. So, it's around this point in time that Melanie decides that the best way to solve this is going to be by staging another performance of the play only no. this time she's going to be playing the part of the person who gets murdered and Bad Susan plan. is going to be playing her. And this is going to give them some kind of magical insight into like who could have done the killing. This is a crappy plan. A terrible plan. <laughs> um, but they go through with it and miraculously and unexpectedly to me, nobody new dies. Um, but while she's in the middle of like the murder scene, what she figures out is that she thinks... Rindy was, like, so sad and so guilt-stricken that she messed with the bullets in the gun and, like, actually was trying to commit suicide. And when she said don't, it was because she knew she'd, like, changed the bullets. Whoa. And was, like, trying to tell her not to actually go through with her, like, suicide plan. But... It was her last act. But Melanie was so committed (laughs) to the play that she couldn't stop. Such a good actress. So, having come to this conclusion with her conscious mind, Melanie goes home and goes to sleep. And then she has a dream. And in the dream, Rindy appears to her and wants to play Scrabble with her. And this is not a lie. This is true. What Twin Peaks episode have we stumbled into? (laughs) The weirdest one. They're having this dream. (laughs) And Rindy is like, we're going to come up with names. And you take ten tiles instead of seven. And, like, all Dream Melanie can do is, like, second-guess Dream Rindy and be like, that's not the rules. You don't use proper words. Also, you only get seven (laughs) tiles. What are you trying to do? And, again, this sounds like something I'm making up. But these are real things that happened in this real book. Sure. And she gives her the letters stan russell and she's like "Ooh, make something of it and then suddenly (laughs) rindy is awoken by a call from like the heroic police detective because rindy's dead that's correct i do mean melanie (laughs) melanie is awoken heroic police detective calls her and is like meet me at the police station at 1 p.m i think i've got this case figured out um and she's like, okay, I will. And he's like, don't leave the house before then. And she's like, I won't. Obviously, she lied because she she's totally, totally going to leave. Right. <laughs> uh, she gets a call from Susan. And Susan's like, oh, we've got to dismantle the set. Do you want to come and help? And she's like, oh, I've got to be at the police captain's office at one. And she's like, oh, Wait. then never mind. You don't have to come. It'll just be me and Mark. And then, Avi, because Melanie is still super hot for hottie Mark, She's like, no, I'll come if Mark's going to be there. So she shows up and Mark isn't there. And she and Susan are like innocently packing up all of the props and stuff like that. And Susan is like, oh, so like did the performance last night like, give you any clues? Like do you think you have it figured out? And Melanie shares the uh, like the idea that she has about Rindy committing suicide like by stage prop. Mm-hmm. And Susan's like, oh, yeah, maybe. Like, that sounds plausible. Um, so while all of this is going on, at one point, 
Susan has the refrigerator door open and Melanie goes to go out this fire exit that's like they've announced a number of times like oh you can't open that door because if you open that door like the fire alarm goes off and like the the fire department comes right away and it's ruined a number of plays so she like leans on it and like nothing happens no alarm happens oh snap and this is important because <laughs> this part's <laughs> oh my god how close to the end of this are we <laughs> so close but there's still so much to tell you i'm like, so sorry the way that you like the way that you are re- recounting this is like a teen telling me a story because it's going nowhere and it's like super like what is happening it's going somewhere there is a payoff to all of this all right can like how much how can we skip any of anything can we skip the door is in the firing range and when the police detective was talking about like either there's a simple thing like oh there's just a one got mixed in with the blanks he's like or there's a super brilliant villain and these are some of the Mm. things they could have done there could have been like a simultaneous gunshot so basically what she figures out is that someone came in that fire exit and shot rindy from behind Melanie in the middle of the play with the gun with like not real bullets again just like a more it, fatal kind of blank it's worth noting to our listeners that Margaret is attempting to stage <laughs> this in her house for Andrew and I right now Using there was the upper third of her body <laughs> and spoiler you guys shooter. spoiler the person who did this is Susan Trells whose name anagrams to Stan Russell 1L. Oh, no, the play was written to kill Rindy. The play was written to kill Rindy. Because the semester before, because Susan has always secretly been in love with Clyde, obviously. (laughs) Crippled Clyde. Always secretly Susan's obsession. And the semester before, she was in a show, and she figured out the trick that if the... Ice box is open, then the fire alarm door doesn't set off the fire alarm. That's and the dumbest. From that, no, it's not. Stop. From that, she wrote an entire fake play around a scene where someone gets shot next to an open fridge. While the refrigerator is open. <laughs> I can't. And then she cast. Everyone in parts where their names are almost identical to their real names and their relationships were absolutely identical to their actual relationships in the real world. Also, she could murder Rindy. And so she confesses everything. Duh. And then she starts trying to kill Melanie, but make it look like a suicide. And then they have a scuffle in the dark. Oh, there are like extra guns, but I'm not even going to get into all of that. No, please don't. Please, please don't. (laughs) It's interrupted by the appearance of Clyde in his wheelchair. (laughs) He just shows up. (laughs) Susan has a gun on Melanie, and it's not clear if it's the gun with bullets or the gun with blanks. Is the play happening? No, this This... is just in the theater. They thought it was just the two of them. But the police detective figured out where she was and figured out that the only person who could talk Susan down would be her, you know, be Clyde. one true love, Clyde, in his wheelchair. So Clyde rolls up, the, rolls up the aisle in a motorized wheelchair and reveals that, in fact, he was the one driving the car when it crashed, right? So why did you – so you shouldn't but have killed Rindy because it's his fault. Rindy masterminded – that his family would never be able to pay for his medical expenses. So she snuck into the hospital before any of his family had seen him and was like, Beachy Dubs, you're paralyzed. Also, tell them I was driving the car so that we can make my parents pay for your medical care. And he did. So she became a social outcast and pariah, but only to save him. So she was was really a hero. It was her last act. (laughs) And Susan (laughs) Are we, like, seriously, are we done yet? Like, this is... (laughs) So close. So close to death. I am this. Okay, great. So Susan is about to kill herself, but then uh, Clyde lies and says that he's in love with her. And so instead she does like a wrist trick where she like shoots like a light out above her instead. And then like passes out in a coma. 
Uh, and then there is the epilogue. And the only reason I'm including the epilogue is because it addresses the ducks. And what we find oh, yeah. out, well, that's Jeremy important. brings everybody back to the reservoir because he's figured out the secret of the ducks because, guys, Rindy also came to him in a dream and told him what happens to them. And what happens to them is that the diner owner in town <laughs> scoops each of them up individually with a net and takes them to a barn all winter where he feeds them and keeps them safe. And then he brings them back in the spring. Not migration. Epilogue. I hate, I hate <laughs> and that's the end. Oh, oh, Can we... I forgot the important part. <sighs> Susan's actually been really good at math the entire time. And at time when she became friends with Melanie, she was pretending to be bad at math so that Melanie She's would befriend her. She's a the best actress. So the let, best. Me, tell you, let me tell you ahead, why, I, why I hate this. Is because <laughs> For every reason. If you turn the like mystery intrigameter up to 11... <laughs> And you just leave it there the whole time, then my eyes glaze over. Yeah. Like, what is what? <laughs> yeah, like how does the book? We we only have so much time, Margaret. But like, why this book? So, a lot of people when we said we were doing Christopher Pike, were kind of excited because they'd read him in middle school and and whatever. So, like, what is the deal with this book at all? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for asking a hyper specific and easy to answer question. I mean, here's what I can tell you is that is a heck of a twist ending. <laughs> what? Do you that mean is the ducks or Night Shyamalan stuff that happens okay. in this book. And people love M. Night Shyamalan's movies until they saw one too many of them. And maybe Christopher Pike novels are the same. If you read Good just thing he four wrote of them, so few of them, they both like peaked in 1996. <laughs> but I never read any Christopher Pike, but I read okay. a lot of Lois Duncan, and she's basically like the top shelf version of this whole teen suspense deal. And like, sure. look, okay, it's a potent combination where it's like you're homely homely protagonist but actually secretly you're hot and super attractive to the guy who's most attractive to you and there's take like those glasses off yeah that's how it there's works. like the attractive but like not actually that good looking popular girl and like she's gonna lure you in she's gonna make you part of her plots but like ultimately you're gonna triumph over her your individual kind of attractiveness is going to be rewarded by like the love partner of your choice and like there's a mystery also. So like if you sure. want to feel hotter than you are and judgmental of girls who are popular and hotter than you, but also like a clever murder genius, Christopher Pike. <laughs> what? Okay. All right, Christopher Pike. All right, Christopher okay. Pike. <laughs> you watch out for those ducks. I, well, All right. I, it sounds like it sounds like the motivations were cranked way up, but like teens do have a lot of feelings about things. They do. That is a that is a famous noteworthy thing about teens. And Chock so full I could, of feelings. I could see them. Like, I knew you had to go through and catalog all of their individual feelings so that we would understand why they might be murderers. Each one painstakingly <laughs> chronicled. Hi. Look. Let no feeling go unexplained. <laughs> I just wanted to do justice to the no. thoroughness of Susan Trells's murder plan. Okay, yeah. if she was gonna line all those ducks up in a row, I had to count them for you. So speak. get it? Do you see ducks. what I did there? Yeah, I no, I do. got it. You're I like see. you're did almost you as smart as Susan. Did you see my cool joke? Did you see it? Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! If you want to send Margaret pictures of ducks, finish we, my drink, you guys. We would be happy to forward them to her from <laughs> our social media <laughs> websites: uh, Facebook.com/slash/overduepod or Twitter.com/slash/overduepod. You could send us an email about it too at overduepod at gmail dot com. A lot of folks who reached out to us this past week that I just want to thank real quick: Sarah, Mike, Jenny, Bream, Adam, Melissa, another Melissa. Uh, unearth them sunny katie definitely ra matt bob starfish chick rob pumper nicholson Teresa, carrie becky graham pod teen dave valerie grace lucas marion and melissa thanks everybody for hitting us up online andrew if folks want to know more about the show where should they go 
they should go to overduepodcast.com, which is where we have links to our iTunes, RSS, Stitcher, and Google Play feeds. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us. People keep doing that. I don't know. It seems like it's working out all right for everyone. <laughs> I don't know. It seems good. It's good. Um, we also have links to the books that we have read and are going to read on Amazon. So if you want to support the show, that's one way to do it. You can also find a link to our Patreon page. Um, HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host, um, all of our back episodes and all the like social media stuff that Craig just mentioned, as well as a new listener page. Mm. So if you are just starting out on the show or if you're recommending that somebody listen to the show, those episodes, which I guess we we have to update that list. We haven't done it in a while. Yeah, we do. Um, That's a list of episodes that we think are a good uh, entry point. So, yeah, check it out. You can also find all the episodes that Margaret's been on. They're on the website, too. They're there for you. you Is there a special page for those? There's nah, not a special page. I you feel like you guys are really. But Squarespace. Guys, I know exactly what I'm going to use my Squarespace for. It's just going to be, <laughs> just going to be just the episodes of Overdue I've appeared on. Perfect. All right, everybody. Uh, next week, I'm going to be reading um, "The World According to Garp" by John Irving. I've started it, and it is going to be a wild ride. So everyone, look forward to that. <laughs> and the audio from our the audio from our live show that we recorded uh, last weekend is going to go up. I think at some point in April when Craig takes his his long delayed honeymoon. So yeah, either that or sometime in March. We'll figure it out. We'll let you know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, Margaret, thanks for being here. Thanks for telling us this cool story. You're so welcome. Thank you for being patient with me while I detailed every part of this very detailed <laughs> murder plot. It's exactly so what I wanted. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Margaret, again for, for hanging out with us. It's and, my pleasure. Uh, we'll see you. We'll see you all next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.